On today's Winning Cures Everything, Alabama makes their two coordinator hires. Notre Dame and Miami are looking for offensive coordinators. Texas A&M, UCF, Oregon, and Michigan News. And my top five most rewatchable or best games from the 2022 college football season. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Can you believe it? It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man. A superb athlete. Gary Seegers. Welcome back to Winning Cures Everything, where we talk college football news and rumors all year round. I'm Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And this is the Monday, February 6th edition of the show. It's season 8, episode 10. You know, if you keep up with that kind of thing. If you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and hit that like button. And whether you're watching or listening, hit subscribe so you never miss the latest tales from the college football universe. Now, as always, again, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and toss your city or town in the comments or the chat. As you know by now, I ask you to do that because I am genuinely curious where you guys are consuming the show. Which, again, by the way, thank you for doing that and for sharing it and telling your friends about it. All good stuff. Uh, Our new goal is to reach 10,000 subscribers by the end of the 2023 football season. And we are well on the way of hitting that. So every like, every share, every subscribe pressed uh, helps more than you guys know. Also, podcast reviews, Apple, Spotify, etc. Those push out the show more when you subscribe and when you give it a nice review. Uh, So thank you if you've already done so. If you haven't, what are you waiting on? Go ahead and knock that thing out. Uh, By the way, as far as YouTube goes, I'm still seeing that like 80% of the viewers on every video are not subscribed. So if you're one of those, do me that favor. Hit that subscribe button. Become a part of the WCE community. All right. To start things off, congrats to Jake Hayner, former Fresno State quarterback. He won MVP of the Senior Bowl on Saturday. Hayner went 12 of 19 for 139 yards and one touchdown as the quarterback of the national team, who won 27 to 10 over the American team. Uh, some of the other standouts in the game, the quarterback for the national team uh, was a kid named Tyson Bajent. Uh, now, I had the game on mute. I didn't hear how you actually pronounce it, but he of the Shepherd Rams which is a D2 school in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Uh, He went 17 of 22 for 138 yards passing, one interception. Uh, Houston quarterback Clayton Toon had a pretty good day. He went 9 of 12 for 70 yards. TCU's Max Duggan, not great, only 4 of 9 for 26 yards. Uh, The two standout wide receivers were Stanford's Michael Wilson. He had four catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. And Jalen Wayne from South Alabama, he had eight catches for 50 yards. As for what I did over the weekend, besides watching that defensive slugfest in the Senior Bowl, uh, lots of college basketball. A, a four-year-old's birthday party as well. Lots of chauffeuring my high school daughter around. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. At, my wife and I did watch Dave Chappelle's speech at the Duke Ellington School for the Arts. We both highly, highly recommend watching that. It's over on Netflix. All in all, it was a pretty lax weekend, if I do say so myself. Hopefully you all had a wonderful weekend as well, but now we got some college football news to dive into. Uh, 
going to write my time down here. Alabama has officially hired Kevin Steele to be the school's next defensive coordinator. Now, if you're an Alabama fan, you're a little underwhelmed by the hire. Let's give it a shot here. Let's walk through this thing together. Let's see how the puzzle pieces actually fit. Uh, Steele spent last season as the D.C. at Miami in Mario Cristobal's debut season, but most SEC fans likely remember him coaching Gus Malzahn's defense at Auburn from 2016 through 2020. And then, of course, you've got the booster coup that attempted to get Steele the head coaching job on the Plains, which then led to former athletic director Alan Green hiring Brian Harson instead. Now, that Harson hire obviously led to Green's dismissal or the failure to renew his contract, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Steele has now been at Alabama three times under Nick Saban. He was Saban's first defensive coordinator in 2007. He was effectively co-DC with Kirby Smart in 2008. Uh, and then he left to take the defensive coordinator job with Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. That was from 2009 through 2011. He then came back to Alabama as director of player personnel in 2013. He moved to linebackers coach in 2014. And then he left again for LSU as the defensive coordinator in 2015 before then heading to Auburn. Now, this is where it gets interesting. After the Auburn debacle, Steele was then hired as a defensive, uh, excuse me, a defensive assistant by who else but Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee in January 2021. Uh, Pruitt was fired around two weeks later, and Steele was then given the interim head coaching role in Knoxville before new Tennessee AD Danny White hired his UCF head coach, Josh Heupel. Now, Heupel did not retain Steele on his defense, so Steele got a $1 million buyout for basically doing about two weeks' worth of work in Knoxville. Uh, but let's dive into it. Let's. How does this hire make sense for Nick Saban? Right? Miami just went 5-7 and seven in Crystal Ball's first season. Uh, we know that the Canes were not good, right? Uh, on defense, they actually weren't that bad, like at least from an efficiency standpoint. The offense was putrid. They were number 94 predicted points added per drive, but the defense was number 39. As far as success rate, number 60 overall on defense, and this was without his own roster. If you remember back to what he was able to do at Auburn, he had the number 24, number 8, number 34, number 17, and number 60 yards per play defenses in FBS in his five seasons there. At Miami, that secondary was weak. You know that Steele and his bunch like to kind of leave those corners on islands. Uh, you couldn't really do that with this bunch. Uh, I think we'll come to find out soon enough that this hiring is not as much about what Steele has been capable of doing over the years as it is bringing in somebody that Jeremy Pruitt and Nick Saban trust. Now, Pruitt worked at Alabama as the director of player personnel with Kevin Steele as the D.C. in 2007 and 2008. Steele uh, recruited Hoover High School. He set up the first meeting between Pruitt and Coach Saban. Now, Steele helped Pruitt work his way up to getting an on-field assistant role at Alabama, which then led to him being a D.C. at Florida State, at Georgia, and at Alabama before being hired as the head coach at Tennessee. Now, I'm sure that you're curious about why I keep bringing up Pruitt. Now, the rumors are that Jeremy Pruitt is going to be hired as a defensive analyst at Alabama. Uh, he likely would be the D.C. if not for the NCAA mess at Tennessee, or Tennessee that still does not have a resolution. Uh, Pruitt can be an analyst, he can help scheme, he can put together the defensive game plan for Steele to call on Saturdays, and if or when Pruitt eventually gets cleared by the NCAA, everybody assumes he'll move back to that defensive coordinator job. Steele is a good defensive mind. Uh, he's somebody that Saban has worked with multiple times. He understands his role in Tuscaloosa with Nick Saban. It's not a flashy name, like taking Glenn Schumann from Georgia or hiring some new up-and-comer from a smaller school, but it is efficient, 
And it's a move that makes a lot of sense with Saban getting older and watching Georgia win two straight national championships with a team that looks a lot like it was built by Saban from 2011 through about 2016. Uh, the other part of this is, even if you take Pruitt out of this, remember Saban just hired Austin Armstrong, who was the defensive coordinator at Southern Miss. This is a guy that's an up-and-comer that may not be ready for a defensive coordinator position, but you know that Kevin Steele is going to help him get there. He's going to help develop that coaching talent. Now, for Alabama, this was simply a hire that gets the tide back to the basics. Now, we move along. Uh, let me go on and tell you this first. Winning Cures Everything is brought to you by BetUS. With fast payouts, fantastic customer service, a myriad of options to bet on, and, of course, an easy-to-use layout, it is easy to see why it's been America's favorite online sportsbook for nearly 30 years. And right now, you can wager with a $50 free play, no deposit required, just by signing up using the link in the description. So take advantage of the deal, get signed up over at BetUS, where the game begins. Now we're going to stay on Alabama here. Let's hit on the Alabama offense. On Friday, Alabama hired Notre Dame offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. Uh, we have, we've already done a video on this. We've already talked about Tommy Reese a couple of times, but let's go through how we got to this point. Okay, There was speculation early on that former TCU offensive coordinator Garrett Riley would replace Bill O'Brien, uh, but he took the Clemson job before O'Brien ever left. Washington OC Ryan Grubb came to Tuscaloosa. There are reports that Grubb turned down the job, uh, but the rumors are that he wanted to make major changes to Saban's offense, and Saban was not a fan. So that didn't happen. Of course, you guys know, or at least a lot of you should by now, uh, when Saban brings in an offensive coordinator, the terminology stays the same at Alabama. So the coordinator has to learn all of the new or all of the terminology that Alabama uses so that the players don't have to worry about coaches changing over. The coach has to learn Nick Saban's offense, basically. Now, as we move along, Jeff Lebby, the Oklahoma and former Lane Kiffin OC, was rumored for a while, and his offense would absolutely make sense as it's effectively the same spread option system that's been run in Tuscaloosa since 2014 when Kiffin took over. Uh, but there's been a lot of chatter that some people were not exactly thrilled uh, with the baggage. You know, Lebby was named or accused as a coach uh, compliant in the attempted cover-up of the sexual assault charges at Baylor. Uh, it was rumored that Kendall Bryles, it, funny that it segues into that, um, and really nothing funny about that, but regardless, uh, ironic that we segue into it. Uh, but it was rumored that Kendall Bryles, the former Arkansas OC and the new TCU offensive coordinator, was in town last week. Those were never really substantiated. Uh, NFL names were heavily rumored. You know, could Cliff Kingsbury return to college football and Nick Saban's rehab program? What about Jason Garrett, uh, Byron Lefwich, Greg Roman, of course, the, the former Ravens offensive coordinator? Uh, rumors went around that Saban kicked the tires on Joel Moorhead, the current Akron head coach, former Oregon offensive coordinator with Mario Cristobal, and, of course, the former Mississippi State head coach and former Penn State offensive coordinator. He runs a similar style of offense, likes to use the quarterback as an extra rusher. That would make a lot of sense for Jalen Milrow, who's already on the roster. Apparently, Moorhead wanted to remain a head coach. And then we get wind that Tommy Reese is being flown to Tuscaloosa from South Bend. Reese has only been an offensive coordinator for three years. He's shown flashes of brilliance while not exactly having a loaded stable of elite talent at his disposal. Now, Brian Kelly really pushed for Reese to join him in Baton Rouge. But Reese stayed at Notre Dame with new coach Marcus Freeman for the 2022 season. 
and then had his starting quarterback go out with an injury in a Week 2 loss to Marshall. Uh, of course, Marshall coached by former Alabama assistant Charles Huff. Since Reese's hiring at Alabama, the responses have kind of been all over the place. Roll Bama Roll has a headline that says, Did Nick Saban usher in the end of the Alabama dynasty by hiring Tommy Reese for offensive coordinator? Uh, Chase Goodbread's article at the Tuscaloosa News is titled, Are Alabama Football and Nick, uh, and Nick Saban Returning to Joyless Murder Ball with Tommy Reese Hire? And then you've got, of course, the fans online at Doc underscore Texas on Twitter. He responded to the news by tweeting, Texas is beating Bama in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> but let's look at what Reese is as a coach. Uh, Stephen M. Smith at uh, Touchdown Alabama, he gave three reasons why he likes the hire. Uh, and I'll go on and quote them here. Number one, he can develop a quarterback. And then he said, see Ian Book and Jack Cohn. I'll throw in Tyler Buckner because that kid absolutely lit up South Carolina once he returned from his injury. And he even did a pretty good job with Drew Pine, who was supposed to be the backup this year. Uh, Pine led Notre Dame to some pretty good moments on offense this year. All right, number two, uh, his offenses get players in space and it's power run to set up play-action passes. Now, I think any college football fan knows at this point how much Saban loves to set up play-action passes with the speed that he's got in his wide receiver room. Uh, number three, he's feisty, and he will make adjustments. Uh, now, if you did not see Tommy Reese ripping into Drew Pine by yelling, do your effing job on the phone during that cow game early in the season, just Google it. It'll come up. But it, it, he looks like an Alabama coach at that point. Uh, if you look at Reese's three seasons at Notre Dame, he changed his offense based on what he had at quarterback. But his constant has always been to run the ball, which Nick Saban and Alabama fans alike are going to appreciate. Uh, Brent C. Taylor at RollBamaRoll.com explained how Reese adapted his offense each season. Uh, he said when Ian Book was there, it was a strong focus on running the ball with a lot of scramble drill passing routes. With Jack Cohn, he went more pro-style, running to set up deep passes. And with backup Drew Pine, he went to a multifaceted rushing attack supplemented with easy passes to his star tight end and horizontal passes. That adaptability is something Nick Saban values, as he has often mentioned uh, over the years how his offense has changed to match his quarterback. And then he capped it off with this. In each year, the offense was designed to spam plays to their best player, Kyron Williams or Michael Mayer uh, in 2022. Another thing we've heard Nick Saban speak about often in the past is his belief that offensive play calls do not matter as much as just making sure your best player gets the ball. Uh, he said, I think this is a major factor in the hiring decision as well. Now, this may not be the splashiest hire, but it can be a really good hire that fits exactly what Nick Saban wants the offense to get back to doing, which is running the football. Overall, I, I think this is a pretty good get for Alabama, uh, and it fits right into Nick Saban's wheelhouse. All right. So let's talk Notre Dame. With Tommy Reese in Tuscaloosa, who will Marcus Freeman call on to be the next OC at Notre Dame? Freeman may be young, but I guarantee that his Rolodex is not lacking for names to call in this situation. Between playing at Ohio State, his stint in the NFL, of course he worked on Daryl Hazel's staff at Purdue, uh, he had his D.C. spot at Cincinnati, he's got plenty of people that he can ring up for this. Uh, first things first, though, how good of a job is this? In back-to-back -back years, the Irish have lost their head coach and now their offensive coordinator to SEC schools. Uh, what does that say about the program in South Bend? For starters, the future of the quarterback room looks incredibly bright. Uh, Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman, the all-time ACC touchdowns leader, has transferred in for this season. He's already on campus, 
And then, of course, you've got five-star recruit C.J. Carr set to take over the reins in 2024. I would imagine that he will give a look at Gerard Parker, who was the OC at West Virginia in 2020 and 2021 before he was the tight ends coach at Notre Dame this season. Uh, Parker was the interim head coach at Purdue when Freeman was the D.C. there, and Parker has coached wide receivers at Duke under Cutcliffe, uh, at Penn State under James Franklin, and then, of course, West Virginia with Neil Brown. If Freeman wants continuity, then that's likely your guy. The familiarity there is something that you can't get past. Now, as far as outside candidates are concerned, the name Joe Brady continues to be brought up. Brady has made it abundantly clear that he wants to work in the NFL. He's got one year of college experience, albeit a national title season at LSU, where he helped transform Joe Burrow into the NFL superstar that he is today. Joe Moorhead has been brought up. As I mentioned earlier, with Nick Saban reaching out to him, Moorhead wants to be a head coach. Akron is willing to be patient while he builds his program. Uh, interesting name here, Andy Ludwig, the offense coordinator at Utah. He makes a ton of sense. He runs similar stuff to what the Irish were already running under Reese. Multiple personnel groups. He loves throwing to the tight ends. You know, for example, Dalton Kincaid and uh, Brent Keithy. Uh, play action passes. He runs inside and outside zone for pro style sets. Uh, that's, a, that's a good get if they can get it. Another name to pay attention to might be Toledo head coach Jason Candle. Now, we've already seen Sean Lewis, Kent State head coach, leave to become Deion Sanders' offensive coordinator at Colorado, so it's not that far-fetched, as Notre Dame could pay him nearly double what he's currently making as a MAC head coach, which is about $1.1 million. Candle uh, is only coached at Mount Union and Toledo, but he was Matt Campbell's offensive coordinator at both places before getting the Toledo head coaching job in 2016 when Campbell left. Now, Candle was born in Ohio, and he's only ever coached in Ohio. Freeman was born in Ohio. He played in Ohio. So it's possible Candle could be willing to make uh, an unlikely jump from head coach to offensive coordinator if it's a chance to further his career. Now, I do want to mention uh, Marcus Arroyo and former Texans OC Pep Hamilton here as well because, like, honestly, this search could go in any direction. I'm sure that we'll see more out of South Bend on this soon, uh, but you know, don't sleep on the possibility that the D.C. Al Golden uh, might leave to jump back to the NFL as well. Uh, there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot in flux around the Notre Dame program right now. Now, on the other side, we're going to discuss Miami's offensive coordinator opening. We're going to talk more coaching news and my top five most rewatchable games from 2022 and, and maybe some more. Let's check out some things you should know about. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, expert game analysis only on the BetUS TV College football channel. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And now, back to the show. All right. Jason Candle and Doug Nussmeyer have emerged as Miami offensive coordinator candidates. 
Uh, Miami's still in the market for a new offensive coordinator after relieving Josh Gaddis of his duties a week and a half ago. Of course, the defensive coordinator, Kevin Steele, has taken the Alabama D.C. job. We're not going to discuss that one today. Uh, Mario Cristobal still needs to find an offensive coordinator to work with the quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke. So let's focus on that one. Uh, before Cristobal's debut season at his alma mater, he made a run at Jason Candle, who is the Toledo coach that we just talked about as being a possibility for the Notre Dame OC position. Now, Candle's team won the MAC this season, but they finished 9-5. and five. Uh, He was just given an extension, so it's not like he's in real trouble at the school or anything like that, but for the talent that he has amassed with the Rockets, uh, his teams continue to underwhelm and really underperform expectations. Most people would have thought that, well, I guess most people think that he should have made the, uh, the jump to a P5 head coaching position by now. But things have not exactly gone as planned. His first two seasons at Toledo, his teams went to combine 20-7 and seven with a MAC title. But since 2018, his teams have gone 33-25, and 25, and their first MAC title in that time span was this season. Uh, they were, they've been downright average. Now, everybody still respects his offensive uh, acumen, but it's proven to be much more difficult to jump to a P5 head coaching position from a MAC school than it was in the past. We've now seen two examples of MAC coaches leaving head coaching positions to go be coordinators at the P5 level. Dan Enos from Central Michigan, he went to Arkansas. And then this season, of course, I already mentioned, Sean Lewis left Kent State to join Colorado. And at this point, after being at Toledo for seven full seasons and only being 43 years old, does he want to try and make that leap? The thing that worries me for Miami is the fact that, uh, again, I brought this up earlier, uh, the only time that he has been outside of the state of Ohio was his freshman and sophomore seasons when he played for D3 school Geneva before transferring to Mount Union. Now, the other name that's popped up as of late is Doug Nussmeyer. Uh, Nussmeyer has been an offensive assistant coach with the Dallas Cowboys for the past five seasons. Like Nuss has been an OC in college at Fresno State under Pat Hill, Washington under Steve Sarkeesian, uh, Alabama with Saban, Michigan with Brady Hoke, and then he was Jim McElwain's OC at Florida in 2015 through 2017 before hopping on with the Cowboys in 2018. And, of course, there's the little detail about his son, Garrett Nussmeyer, being the backup quarterback at LSU. Uh, would Garrett maybe transfer to Miami to play for his dad? It's very interesting to think about. Anyway, Nuss and Mario coached together at uh, Alabama in 2013, so there's a little bit of familiarity there. Nuss would run what Mario wants to run on offense. So that's an interesting one. I know for a fact that the fan base is not thrilled about that. And if you go through, uh, if you go to stateoftheu.com, they have got an incredible write-up on what Nuss's offenses looked like, what they ranked in those seasons at all those different places, and what they ranked after Nuss left. So, might want to go do a little bit of reading. Uh, then there's the Scott Frost rumors. Got to bring that up. Frost is owed a lot of money by Nebraska. $16.4 million in buyouts, to be exact. I have to imagine that he'd just like to lay low for a little while after things ended so poorly at his alma mater. Uh, I'm still convinced that the hire is going to be Marcus Royo, although... To be honest, uh, if this was going to get done, there's no reason it shouldn't have already started. Like, Arroyo is currently unemployed after being let go by UNLV um, so, so that they could hire that Arkansas, D.C. and former Missouri head coach Barry Odom. It'll be interesting to see what Cristobal cooks up here, and if anyone is willing to take the job, you know, knowing how Cristobal prefers to stay on the conservative side of things on offense. Uh, moving along, we got a, we got a little bit of news that we're going to touch on. Texas A&M wide receiver Anaya Smith announced he's returning for his super senior season 
Smith was injured against Arkansas in September. He missed the rest of the season. Uh, it's a huge deal because A&M's wide receiver room had just been decimated by transfers. Uh, they lost Chris Marshall. They lost Chase Lane. They lost Devin Price. Uh, you'll keep Brown all leaving the program. And that left the Aggies with only four scholarship wide receivers from last year's team. Uh, Smith is going to be a veteran presence to the wide receiver core, not to mention the fact that, I mean, the kid's a Swiss Army knife. Like, he, he returned punts for the Aggies for a couple of years. Uh, he played significant snaps at running back in 2020. Like, I'm certain old Bobby Petrino is excited to have Anias back in the fold for his first Aggies offense. Uh, Gus Malzahn. That's right, we got some UCF stuff to discuss. <sighs> Gus Malzahn announced that UCF has hired former Charlotte head coach Will Healy as a senior offensive analyst and advisor to the head coach. Now, this is one that I was curious about. Healy is still incredibly young. He's only 38 years old. Uh, this is going to be great experience building for him on Gus's staff as he learned what all, or excuse me, as he learns what all goes into being a CEO type of coach, right? Healy was just a rocket ship in the coaching world. He played quarterback for Dave Clawson at Richmond. Uh, they won the FCS National Championship in 2008. He was then hired immediately out of school as a quarterback coach at UT Chattanooga before he moved to wide receivers coach for a few years. He was then hired as the Austin P head coach in 2016. That was a school that had gone 1 and 34 in football before they hired Healy. Uh, he went 0 and 11 his first season there. Then they went 8 and 4, 7 and 1 in FCS. Uh, in his second season, their only loss was to the OVC champion uh, Jacksonville State. And then he went 5 and 6 in his third season before taking the Charlotte job. Now, at Charlotte, he took their program to the first bowl game, uh, got their first win over a P5 program. They beat Duke in 2021. Everything fell apart in 2022 as they started 1-7 and he was fired. Uh, but this guy has done all of this. He's still only 38 years old. It is mind-blowing to see that. Like, a, a stint with Malzahn could be really good for him as he determines what his next move is going to be. Pete Thamel reported today. Pete Thamel reported this morning Adrian Clem, Oregon's offensive line coach, is headed back to the NFL. Now, per his tweet, he said, Sources, Oregon offensive line coach Adrian Clem is expected to leave for the New England Patriots. Clem is expected to receive a pay raise with the move back to the NFL. He'd served as Oregon's associate head coach and run game coordinator this year. He is the former offensive line coach for the Steelers and has also coached at UCLA and SMU. Oregon finished number one in all of college football this uh, this season in sacks allowed, they gave up just five sacks in 13 games. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, that offensive line job in New England, that's one that Iowa fans were hopeful might be appealing to Brian Ferentz. Uh, but alas, Clem is headed back to Foxborough. That leaves an interesting opening at Oregon. Dan Lanning hired an incredible first staff in Eugene, uh, but he's going to have to replicate that success after just one season. They lost offensive coordinator uh, Kenny Dillingham to the head coaching job at Arizona State. He lost uh, safeties coach and co-defense coordinator Matt Polidge, uh, who took over the D.C. job at Baylor. And now, of course, Clem moving back to the NFL. Uh, we'll, we'll see what Dan Lanning ends up doing with uh, all of these open positions here. Chris Partridge is leaving Ole Miss. Uh, after three years as a defensive assistant, he is returning to Michigan where he worked under Jim Harbaugh for four seasons before joining Lane Kiffin's first staff. Uh, he served as special teams coordinator and linebackers coach for the Wolverines before moving to safeties for two seasons before the move to Oxford. Uh, that's an interesting one to look out for. Uh, Partridge, really well-respected for his recruiting abilities. So 
something to pay attention to uh, as, you know, Michigan has not exactly been killing it on the recruiting trail. Uh, but pay attention to that hire. That could be a big one there. NBC. NBC announced some things. Todd Blackledge is leaving ESPN to join Noah Eagle and Catherine Tappan in calling NBC's new Big Ten Saturday Night Football Package, which starts on Saturday, September 2nd on NBC and Peacock. Blackledge is entering his 30th season as a network college football analyst, having worked at ABC, CBS, and most recently ESPN. Now, Noah Eagle has been calling college football games for Fox Sports. He's the son of Ian Eagle, uh, NFL play-by-play announcer, and Catherine Tappan uh, has been doing sideline coverage on NBC's Notre Dame broadcasts. This is going to be an interesting interesting Saturday night crew. I, I'm very excited to see what these guys look like. Right, This is a very interesting uh, collection that they've put together. Uh, anything Blackledge is on, I, I typically enjoy. I mean, he's called playoff games. He's... He's been on the ESPN radio broadcast of the national championship game for, I want to say, over a decade at this point. I mean, he's he's done a lot of interesting and fun things. So I'm excited to hear Blackledge do something that's uh, a little bit different. A little bit different. All right, to close out today's show, we're going to go through my top five most rewatchable games from the 2022 college football season. I look at this list as basically five games that you could use to recruit a non-college football fan into a lover of the sport just by showing them these games. Now, there's a lot of criteria for me. Uh, the atmosphere has to be electric. There have to be exciting plays, so we're not going to get a low-scoring field goal fest. Uh, there needs to be some stakes in the game. To me, the best thing about college football is home field advantage and how pumped a home stadium can get during a game. So I'm going to leave bowl games and even playoff games out of this one. Uh, so I'm going to count down from number five to number one. If you have some that I missed, toss it in the comment section or hit me with it on Twitter. I'm at GaryWCE. All right, starting off. First off, Florida State 45, Florida 38. Now, in Billy Napier's first season, the variance was high. I mean, ridiculously high. From destroying a South Carolina team that had two top 10 wins to end the season to then losing at Vanderbilt the next week, uh, from beating Pac-12 champion Utah in Week 1 to losing to a not-great Kentucky team at home in Week 2, you never knew what you were going to get from the Gators this season. Uh, Mike Norvell's Seminoles, on the other hand, had been, I mean, they'd been awesome pretty much every week that they were healthy. Uh, Florida State had not beaten Florida since 2017, and there was only one punt in the first half, which ended with Florida kneeling out a 24-21 lead going into the locker room. Uh, Florida State came out, kicked field goal, then scored two straight touchdowns, and they held the Gators to three straight three and outs to go up 38-24 to with only two minutes left in the third quarter. But Anthony Richardson, he led Florida on two consecutive touchdown drives to tie the game with just over seven minutes left. And at that point, Jordan Travis, running back Trey Benson, they led Florida State down the field for a touchdown with just over four minutes left to go up 45-38. to Florida was not done, though. Uh, they, were, they ended up going on a 13-play, 49-yard drive that ended with an incomplete pass on 4th and 12 at the Florida State 26-yard line with 39 seconds left in the game. It was an epic rivalry game, and it was one that showed that we certainly need more college football on Black Friday night, right? Number four, Washington 37, Oregon 34. Oregon had reeled off eight straight wins when Washington came into town, and quarterback Bo Nix had entered into the Heisman Trophy conversation. 
Uh, Oregon was being prognosticated as a potential playoff team in Dan Lanning's first season. Uh, the Ducks were ranked number six in the country on November 12th, and this was expected to be a fun matchup of two high-flying offenses. Now, the game went back and forth in a rather low-scoring first half, which was completely unexpected. Washington was up 13-10 to at the half, and then the third quarter came, and we saw five touchdowns in that one quarter. Oregon and Washington went back and forth, drive for drive. They were throwing haymakers at each other. Uh, in the fourth quarter, things slowed down again. Oregon finally kicked a field goal to go up 34-27 with 3.54 left. But Michael Penix threw a 62-yard touchdown pass to Taj Davis uh, just 47 seconds later. So Bo Nix went out with an injury on the ensuing drive. Oregon went for it on a really weird fourth down call with their backup quarterback in the game. And then Washington got the ball back, only had to go eight yards to kick a 43-yard field goal with 51 seconds left to win the game, 37-34. This was an absolute classic in Eugene. All right, number three. TCU 29, Baylor 28. Uh, TCU's perfect season already had plenty of uh, adversity, uh, but this was another beast entirely, right? Playing at Baylor just a week after winning a slugfest at Texas. uh, This rivalry game had everything that you could possibly want in it. TCU went up 20-14 in the third quarter. Baylor responded with a nearly six-minute drive that ended in a touchdown and a 21-20 lead at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And on the next drive, TCU had to punt they stacked Baylor back at their own 16-yard line. And then on 3rd and 11, Baylor quarterback Blake Shapin threw a 74-yard pass to Monterey Baldwin, which led to a Richard Reese touchdown pass, or excuse me, a rushing touchdown, and a 28-20 lead with less than 10 minutes left. Uh, TCU and Baylor both punted on their next possession, but with just over six minutes left, Max Duggan went to work. That's a big reason why he was a Heisman Trophy candidate. He hit five of six passes, along with a 21-yard run on third and one en route to a touchdown with 2.07 left, but the two-point conversion failed. So it's 28-26 Baylor with 2.07 left. TCU kicked the ball back, used their timeouts, got a three-and-out stop, and then Duggan drove the offense 45 yards in nine plays in only a minute 34, which led to what could only be described as, like I guess, a Hail Mary field goal. Uh, They call it the fire drill. As TCU had no timeouts left when they ran on the field, um, I guess when the field goal unit ran on the field, the kicker, Griffin Kell, didn't even have time to get set up before they snapped the ball, and he drilled a 40-yarder to win the game at the buzzer. This was an absolutely incredible ending to a fantastic rivalry game. Now, we only got two more. Number two, I got Utah 43, USC 42. USC led at the end of the first, second, and third quarters, uh, but Utah always found a way to respond to basically every USC score. The eventual Heisman winner, Caleb Williams, threw for 381 yards and five touchdowns for USC. Uh, But on the other side, Cam Rising ran for three touchdowns and threw for two more for Utah, along with 415 yards passing. That includes 234 yards passing and a touchdown to the tight end Dalton Kincaid, who just destroyed the USC defense. USC's win probability was at 92.3% with about four minutes left in the game. But Cam Rising led Utah down the field for a final score, and then he ran in the two-point conversion that ended up winning the game with 48 seconds left. There was a field storming. Uh, It was a game that proved pivotal in the Pac-12 standings, as Utah would not have even had the opportunity to beat USC a second time in the Pac-12 title game without winning this one. All right, and number one, of course, Tennessee 52, Alabama 49. I don't know that you will get a better version of college football than what you saw in Knoxville that day. This was the game of the year in college football. This game allowed LSU to win the SEC West, 
uh, as both they and Alabama finished with two losses in the SEC. It also gave Tennessee fans their first win over Alabama since 2006, and it was their first win over a Nick Saban-led Alabama team. Uh, You could feel the electricity in Neyland Stadium that day, and the fans helped the Vols light up Alabama early with poor field position, penalties, mistakes, etc. Tennessee got up to a 28-10 lead before Alabama stormed back. When Alabama cut the lead to 28-20 right before halftime, you could literally feel the anxiety in the stadium. I mean, the crowd was progressively more anxious as the game wore on, especially when uh, Tennessee missed a PAT early in the third quarter, and Alabama took their first lead at 35-34 to before the fourth quarter started. And in the fourth quarter, of course, we saw May four touchdowns, an interception called back for pass interference that could have ended the game. Finally, a game-winning field goal as time expired that saw the crowd spill over the wall and onto the field. It was absolutely epic. Now, if you have different games than me, toss them in the comments. I want to know what you guys think about these. Do I have them ranked in the correct order? Uh, Let me know what you think about last season's most rewatchable games. If your wife or partner, whoever, does not like college football, and you are trying to convince them to come on in, join the family, join the community, what game would you show them from this past season? That's what I want to know. Toss it in there. All right, that is going to wrap things up for this edition of Winning Cures Everything. Uh, Again, if you haven't already, click that like button for me. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. And, of course, jump in the comments. I want to know your thoughts on the things that we discussed today. You know, the top five games of the year. I want to know about Notre Dame and Miami's next hires, the Alabama stuff, anything else you want to discuss. And as always, if there is something that you want me to talk about on the show, feel free to hit me up at GaryWCE on Twitter, or you can email me, Gary at winningcureseverything.com. Uh, thanks to BetUS for always you know, putting this thing out for us. Uh, until next time, take care of yourself, take care of each other, God bless college football, and hopefully, hopefully, all of your tickets cash. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures this Everything. Week. <laughs> make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite <laughs> podcast app. And make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE. And the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.